before the pandemic, life expectancy in the Southern Black Belt is among the shortest in the entire U.S., and healthcare outcomes are very poor for residents there. Mortality rates for Black men in this region tends to be 50% higher than the national average. That is staggering. Yep. Welcome to the Shrinks on Third Psychology and Social Justice Podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome. Today, Cindy and I are going to talk about the Southern Black Belt. I only heard of it before because my son lived in Alabama for a year and told me about it. Let's see what it's all about, what makes it important for us to know about it. Yeah, I only learned about it in some of the research we did for another episode. So there's a lot that's important for us to know about it. At first it was named the black belt because of the rich dark color of the soil that's found there. And then that changed later to refer to the large percentage of African-Americans living there. At this point in time, the area is known as still having the richest soil, but the poorest people. Originally, the Alabama black belt was a big strip of land that goes from one side of Southern Alabama all the way to the other side. And just as you mentioned, the term referred to the soil there, which was rich, dark soil, really good for cotton growing. And then the area grew larger. The region is fairly large now and crescent shaped. It spans many miles from Eastern Virginia through Texas, encompassing the deep South of Eastern and South Central Alabama into Northwestern Mississippi. It's actually 300 miles across in some places. You can see from this that the Southern Black Belt region is a large area in the South, made up of more than 600 counties in 11 states. There is some controversy over just how long it stretches or just how many states or counties are included, but that's not really relevant to our discussion today. We wanna present the general idea of the Southern Black Belt region because basically slavery, racism, and the greed of capitalism is what brought so many Black people to the region and what left so many of them in poverty there. So we want to take a look at this, what the Black Belt was, what it is, and what we can do to help the current residents who really need it. In part because of the unusually fertile soil there that some people call the Black Belt or prairie soil, the Native Americans living in the area were forcefully removed and the invading European immigrants from nearby Southern states such as Georgia and the Carolinas took over and made the region a plantation area in what was considered Alabama fever. (laughs) Alabama fever. Yeah. We've heard of the gold rush, but not Alabama fever. (laughs) The new landowners and slave owners were able to grow rich by exploiting others. Because the soil was so rich and fertile, this was also a place that slavery was very profitable. Just about half of Alabama's enslaved population was concentrated within 10 Black Belt counties, where exploiting them made this one of the richest regions during what's called the Plantation Era, also called the Antebellum Era of the United States. 
We should do an episode on the antebellum area and what that refers to, especially given the big to-do on The Bachelor about it. Were you familiar with that? No, I don't watch The Bachelor. I don't watch it either. Well, I did watch a few episodes. Um, (laughs) But The Bachelor, who was Black, chose a woman who was white for his future wife, but then he broke up with her when it was discovered that she went to an antebellum party like a few years back, Hmm. which she didn't even know what it was. So I think people should know what that means. Anyway, at any rate, towns such as Montgomery and Selma, Alabama that were within the black belt transformed during plantation times with the exploitation of humans into major rich hubs. In fact, the Alabama black belt region is often highlighted in discussions about the Southern black belt because it's been one of the densest areas for both the growth and wealth of European landowners and settlers and the enslavement, mistreatment and racist legislation of black Americans. Because of this, the black belt held a lot of pro-slavery secessionists. Exploitation of slave labor had changed the lives of people and their towns and they were not eager to give that up. They made a lot of money off the backs of those many slaves working for free in the very fertile cotton fields. There was a brief minute after emancipation and the defeat of the Southern military when African-Americans held political offices and were able to begin to affect change in that area, but the Southern whites fought back in the polls, you know, the way they do, and took over again in less than 10 years. Then the landowners once again ruled the black belt and the black belt affected state politics. You have to wonder about how all of this actually went down since there were so many freed black people and so few landowners comparatively, like voter suppression perhaps? Yeah, like is being attempted again now in the (laughs) present? Mm -hmm. As we know through other stories we've researched and what we still see today, these big landowners ruled the land through violence, calls to white supremacy and massive voter fraud. They made sure to disenfranchise African-Americans and many poor whites who often were their wage earning slaves. Wages so low, they were basically owned. Right, so the region went from being highly profitable for whites and definitely not for the African-Americans who worked the land. But then things began to change. Yeah, it, it, it sounds a little like the 10 plagues. <laughs> for various reasons, including soil erosion, a bull weevil invasion, the collapse of the cotton market, partly due to the failure to diversify the agriculture, the Black Belt headed into major decline. It went from one of America's richest and powerful regions to its current state of being the largest, poorest, and most rural region in the country. Descendants of the slaves that were freed did continue to work there as sharecroppers after emancipation, but many others left the area and moved to other counties in the region or cities or left the area altogether in search of better opportunities. Today, the Black Belt in Alabama has some of the absolutely poorest counties in the entire country. There's tremendous poverty, shrinking populations, high unemployment, few non-agricultural jobs, terrible medical care and education, poor housing, and a high crime rate. And we know that people who work those non-agricultural jobs aren't privy to a minimum wage. 
No. So in the 1950s and 60s, the long oppressed African-American residents with the help of Supreme Court decisions and congressional actions transformed small towns in the Black Belt such as Selma into critical places for the struggle for freedom. In fact, many of the important civil rights events took place in towns and areas that are within the Black Belt, including boycotts such as the Montgomery bus boycott and the Freedom Rides and nonviolent protests such as marches and sit-ins and various other forms of civil disobedience. It's true, and it's interesting how that happens. Because of the horrendous mistreatment of African Americans in the Black Belt, some of the most important events that happened during the entire civil rights movement happened right there in the Black Belt of Alabama. Rosa Parks refused to move to the back of the bus there. That led to the Montgomery bus boycott, like you said. There were marches from Selma to Montgomery in the mid-60s, voter registration drives in response to the Voting Rights Act. Of course, this will come as no surprise when the whites ruled politics there again. They made it extremely hard for black people and even for poor whites to vote. Black people were excluded from politics for many years. This is no coincidence given that Montgomery, Alabama was the first capital of the Confederacy at the start of the Civil War. The unbearable oppression of previously enslaved people became the strength they needed to finally enact some of these significant struggles. Right. But nevertheless, the Black Belt region has been systematically under-resourced and underserved. Black people provided free, forced, and uneducated labor when enslaved, but were left with little when they became free. Right. They still held a subordinate status, and there were discriminatory policies that affected every aspect of their lives, including education, travel, employment, even their marital opportunities. Rules were established to dictate many aspects of their lives inequitably and unfairly. So the Alabama Black Belt ended up having a large population of aspiring African-Americans who were previously enslaved and now free. The area still makes wealth only for a small number of landowners and international corporations like those dealing in lumber and paper. Instead of cotton fields, there are now pine tree plantations, beef cattle pastures, soybean fields, and hunting, which cover thousands of acres of the Black Belt. Most of the people living here are poor, with only the property owners benefiting from the tax structures set up to favor them in a big way. Education there is also still segregated as many of the white people who can afford it opt out of the public schools and into private Christian schools. Honestly, that sounds like a terrorist cell. To me, it just sounds like an updated version of slavery. The people who have lived here and have called it home for their entire lives, including many descendants of slaves, love the area. Its beauty, its slow pace, its family traditions and love but many of the younger generation are growing up and getting out. You can't blame them. There are not many opportunities there for them. Poverty has been an ongoing problem and their struggles have intensified during the global pandemic. Even before the pandemic, life expectancy in the Southern Black Belt is among the shortest in the entire U.S. and healthcare outcomes are very poor for residents there. For one thing, access to healthcare is limited because there are few, if any, transportation options for many of the rural residents, and there's a shortage of healthcare workers throughout the region. Mortality rates for Black men in this region tends to be 50% higher 
than the national average. That is staggering. Yep. Poverty has also been a huge problem and has only gotten worse recently. Unemployment has increased and coronavirus infections have been just huge there. Many people, for example, have to find a way to get into the nearest, at least semi-large town to make their way to places that are giving out food there. In addition, voter suppression continues to be rampant in the Black Belt regions. This is still going on, led largely by the Republican Party at this point, of course. Most of the Black residents living in the Black Belt region lean heavily Democratic. Even though they have a slight majority over the number of whites in the region, it won't be surprising to hear that it's still very controlled by racist Republican politicians. So in terms of taking action, the Black Belt Community Foundation at blackbeltfound.org works to help put needed resources into the region in order to make a lasting impact on quality of life there. There are a certain number of people returning to the region because of the strong family and community connections that often go way back that we mentioned. This community foundation envisions empowering the Black Belt residents to contribute to healthy communities and benefits from shared gifts and a productive regional economy. There are also a lot of changes that have to be made in this area regarding systemic racism and the inequities that are everywhere and that strongly affect the Black Belt residents' ability to participate in the labor market and even society as a whole. Absolutely. Another interesting way to help people in the Black Belt, and actually people who are poor anywhere in the country, is to give money for medical debt relief. Medical debt tends to ruin families really easily, and they just can't possibly ever recover. You can specify that you want to donate it to the Black Belt region if you want to. You go to the website secure.qgiv.com. The organization overall is called RIP Medical Debt. And amazingly, generally $1 that you give is leveraged to abolish $100 in medical debt. So your donation goes a long way. You can help families get rid of medical debt and just get back on their feet because often they never can after a medical crisis. Yeah, that sounds great. And these are a couple of helpful ways uh, and help us end this on a positive note. Yeah. It's really tough. It is. So now we know a little bit more about the Black Belt region and, and some things to do to help people there. Thanks for listening. Take care. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care. <laughs>